everyone and welcome into another Irish NFL show episode. It is playoff week and I am delighted to be joined by, I think at this stage we can describe him as a good friend of the show. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think yeah. so. He, co- he covers uh, the league at, at this point for Pro Football Network. Aretha Sad, how are you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm not too shabby. Uh, I, I, I a lot of people are kind of down on January, but I, I think January's um, not a bad month because you're kind of catching up with people on what went on over <laughs> the holiday period. I find February. Um, I, I know we had the the Super Bowl, but once you get beyond the Super Bowl, especially in Ireland, the weather is meh and it. It just feels like it, it drags, but, um, you know, I would give anything for meh weather right now. I just spent an hour shoveling my car out of the snow, so. <laughs> I I have, you know, I visited uh, Minnesota frequently. I've never actually been there in January or February, uh, so I've only tasted the, 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 the minor parts of winter. I know that people discuss the fact that there are what was it two seasons? There's winter and construction. Yeah, um, yeah, it's the same. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we we just had like the one of the worst. I was out of the state, fortunately, when it happened, but then I had to come back and deal with the aftermath. We had one of the worst snowfalls in a long time, couple of feet of snow. So I had to, uh, <laughs> I had to shovel, uh, just get what well, with liters. I was going to say gallons. I had to shovel liters. Of snow to get out of to get out, and then I, I tried getting out. I couldn't get out. I had a radio interview to get to. Uh, I had a couple of neighbors coming and help me because my car was just absolutely stuck. So, uh, love love that they they helped out. Love that there's like a sense of community that people just came out of their house to help me out. Don't love that they had to. Yeah, well, kudos to them for for coming out. And we we kind of get gallons over here. Obviously, we talk. Uh, we we do use the metric system, but we do talk about pints quite a lot so all this um, proof yeah yeah so it, all, it, all, it all works it all works um and look the the last time i think um you know or did, certainly last year i remember talking to you and i said to you at that point Arif, the, the this vikings team if they played the 0-16 browns or if they played the 72 dolphins they'd play them close and and, and who are they well, this year's Viking team are very different, but I, I still I think the question, the essential question, is still there: Who are they? Yeah, no, it's it's tough. I mean, they were able to bookend their season with the only multiple score wins that they've had, right? Which is just a very interesting way to do it, right? Uh, beating a divisional rival by multiple scores at the beginning, beating a divisional rival by multiple scores in a game that they weren't even trying particularly hard. Uh, at the end and then in the middle just a bunch of struggles struggles they came out ahead in but a bunch of struggles right so um, certainly this team I'd argue is maybe more resilient or uh, plays better situational football Uh, but you know there's always going to be concerns right because if you're playing a close game against you know a team that is just not you know near the top of the standings a team that uh, he's consistently ranked pretty low. I'm going to exclude the Colts game because that was a very weird game for the Vikings in a, in a bunch of ways that I don't think maps on to um, a lot of who they are. But, you know, they, they're playing close games against, you know, like in London, for example, against the Saints. You know, that's not a good Saints team. Um, you know, if you're doing that, then there's going to be concerns about, you know, how you'll be able to stack up against, you know, some really quality playoff opponents. Now, they did that against the Giants. It was a close game. They had to you know, win out on a 61-yard field goal, right, to, which is a franchise record. 
uh, in order to win the game. Otherwise, it would have forced overtime, and who knows what would have happened there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just another example of how those things can kind of just pile up. Like, I'm, I'm relatively confident they'll do a pretty decent job against the Giants. Don't know if they'll win, but certainly I think they'll keep it competitive. Um, but after that, I don't know. And I think a lot of Vikings fans would be comfortable with that. I think that a, a lot of the discussion about the Vikings feels negatively tinged because you're trying to talk about, you know, hey, the Vikings have 12 wins or whatever. What does that mean? Who are they? Uh, and you're talking about a team that's probably not as good as RAS 13, right? They're probably not as good as a 13-win team typically is when you when you talk about 13-win teams. So it sounds negative, right? But it's a good team. It's just not as good as 13-win teams are. Um, I think that you begin the season, you say, hey, the Vikings are going to win 13 games. They're going to get into the playoffs. What do you think about that? Vikings fans be like, absolutely. Don't even tell me what happens next. That's fantastic news, right? Fine, right? That, and, and I think that, that that attitude is healthy. But, you know, when, when you go through the entire season, when you go through, you know, four months of hearing they're not as good as their record, they're not as good as their record, right? they get defensive, right? I, I get it. Um, but, I mean, it's been a great season for the Vikings. Certainly, you know, you could call them paper tigers or frauds or whatever, and I don't think you'd necessarily be wrong. But, um, yeah, I mean, I would say they're an above-average team that is that is punching a bit above their weight in the win-loss column, uh, and it's going to sting them you know, in the next round of the playoffs. Can I say as, as a Broncos fan, um, I, I, I think it is hilarious, right? When I hear about teams that they're not, they're not as, as good as their record suggests, because I have had um, the, the Denver media, league-wide media for six years say, oh, but the Broncos are so much better than the record suggests. And just you watch next year, next year is going to be the Broncos year. Um, so hearing about a team who aren't as good as their records suggest, who still made the the playoffs under a first-time, uh, first-year head coach, which he gained, um, you know, uh, for for the for the Broncos, that's like our kryptonite, apparently. Um, so so in many ways, very different. And I, I'm kind of interested in in maybe talking a little bit more in terms of Kevin O'Connell and obviously the matchup, uh, the playoff matchup against Brian Dable, because two guys who are first-time head coaches. Very different characters, but obviously have that ability to inspire their players. And, you know, um, we talked to Kevin O'Connell over the summer and he is super smart. And he gave, I asked him a question um, and it, it, like it, it kind of led from something he had said. And in fairness, he took, he took it the ball, as we would say here, he took the ball on the hop and he ran with it. And what I, what I, I essentially asked him about, like what makes a QB elite and not just, you know, a, a, an average QB. And he gave this like incredibly detailed answer. He went into the mechanics of QB play. He went into the mindset of an elite QB. And it was brilliant. You could see then like the way in which like he he can inspire. And we've seen the videos and we got to see it, I suppose, that, you know, when he came to London and even at the podium, um, seen a lot of um you know head coaches at the podium he is very comfortable whatever questions he's got a very nice way of if he doesn't like a question he kind of de deflects it uh but oh yeah you know, he's already an expert at that yeah uh, it's it's like a roger federer backhand it's kind of <laughs> yes. how he how he does that but as somebody you know who who has honestly been covering the, this team you know um albeit you've got a league-wide perspective now but you see them a lot how how has how has it gone for for him? We've seen a lot of the wins, but it, say that 
loss against Green Bay, and obviously they bounced back the following week. You know, how has he kind of dealt with maybe some of the setbacks that have come up uh, along the way this season, Arif? Yeah, I mean, they when they come out of some of these, like, really devastating losses, the Cowboys game, the Eagles game, the Packers game, they've come in and won the next game, right? I mean, that, I think that says a lot, right? I think, that, you know, the ability to kind of keep the team on task and focused, finding ways to make sure that the team, you know, learns appropriate lessons from the losses but doesn't dwell kind of emotionally on it, that's a really fine balance to have to strike to kind of continue to break down players and tell them kind of what went wrong to say, hey, next week's another week, we're 0-0 heading into the week uh, kind of thing. And having players buy into it and perform at a high level, um, you know, that that is a, a really important job for a coach. And, you know, on my side, I'm a more anal- analytically inclined guy. It's always easy for, you know, people in, in my position to kind of discount kind of the human side of coaching to kind of talk about how every game is kind of a discrete event and how, you know, all of our data suggests that, you know, momentum, not positive or negative, is not, you know, really something that, that comes into play in the NFL, especially from game to game. Um, but, I, I, you know, I've seen teams in a downward spiral, right? You know, the Vikings were in a downward spiral last year. Mike Zimmer, right? The Houston Texans seem to kind of just live in a downward spiral, right? Except that's last game. I, I really like what Lovey Smith did this last game, right? Um, shame that they couldn't get the first overall pick at the same time. But, uh, you know, I've seen teams, you know, exist in that in that downward spiral. And it is incumbent upon the coach to create a team atmosphere that makes players want to come to work. Right. Or makes players think it's not even work. Right. You know, it's 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 it makes them kind of enjoy kind of what they're doing or at least feel enthusiastic about what they're doing. Right. Not every player has to love playing football, but they can't hate it. That's that's really important. <laughs> you know, that's. Uh, and, and so finding a way to create that kind of environment and keeping your team focused and not getting too up or down, um, which I, another thing I, I think with um, with coaching, a really great example of that, Sean McDermott, right, this past week, um, it would have been really easy to have this team have too much energy or not enough energy or, I mean, just because of the, the all of the stuff uh, surrounding DeVar Hamlin uh, and especially coming off of that storybook opening kickoff return touchdown. First one the Patriots have given up, I think, in the Bill Belichick era, if not at least in the last 20 years, right? Uh, it would have been so easy for the Bills to be overhyped, to not play detail, to play, to overpursue, to play uh, overly aggressive, to play with a lot of energy. We're playing for DeMar, right? Which is like, it's good to have that motivation, but you have to marry motivation with discipline for it to produce anything meaningful, right? And it's, it's a good sign of a good coaching staff to kind of take that energy and not diminish it, but direct it and focus it in ways that are productive, right? Um, because having the willingness to play for a player that's in the hospital, that's fantastic, right? But it will it would feel hollow if after the game you don't come out of it with something that you're proud of, right? You don't even have to win, but you have to come out of the game with something that you're proud of. And so you have to play detailed, focused, technical football in order for that to happen. And the Bills did that, right? And I think that you know we've seen a lot of really great examples of high-level coaching that finds ways to both motivate players and keep them disciplined within that band of motivation where you want them to be not too high or too low, but still pretty high. Dan Campbell is a really great example of that. Lovey Smith was a good example of that. Sean McDermott. And Kevin O'Connell has done a pretty good job on the other end of it when the Vikings are coming out of games, disappointed with the way that they play, right? And so for him, I don't know if he's a coach of the year person. You know, maybe he's a coach of the year candidate kind of hard not to give it to Zach Taylor or Sean McDermott now after after everything that's happened but you know fair enough right you know I, I think all of these coaches have done a really great job Nick Sirianni is obviously up there 
I don't know if Kevin O'Connell's a coach of the year candidate, and if he's not, you know, no biggie. But he has coached like somebody who is maybe deserving of the award, right? And bringing the Vikings into that into that phase to bring them into the playoffs this first year, I think, gets a lot of players to buy in, gets the coaching staff to buy in, which is, I think, an underrated part of the whole affair, um, gets the ownership to buy in. They're more willing to kind of invest resources. That front office is going to be more motivated. Because um, if you're a scout on the road, right, now, scouts no longer only get paid $25,000 a year. That was like kind of a thing for a while. But, um, and remember, you know, you have to pay for health insurance here too, right? So it's it's a little bit it's a little bit less than over there. But, um, you know, scouts were vastly underpaid for the extraordinary amount of work, 60, 70, sometimes 80 hours a week, a lot of it on the road, right? If you're a scout and the team you're playing for is losing and that front office feels like it might get fired or there's going to be a lot of turnover, I don't know if I want to spend a ton of time figuring out if this undrafted free agent is worth it, right? But if the team you're, you're working on is winning, you're like, man, I, I found some gems that could really help this team out. You just every part of that operation is just going to be running a little bit smoother. It's going to it's going to have a little bit more to it, and so um, having that with you uh, is going to be really big for um, the way the Vikings, you know, are moving forward. I don't think that they're talented enough to win the Super Bowl right now. If I'm wrong fantastic i would love to be there to cover it right but um that's that's kind of not i mean obviously it's the goal for the vikings i don't think that that was the ex- expectation of fans of the media and so i think they're in a pretty good place and i think kevin o'connell's a huge reason why there's a lot of things he can fix but i think from a coaching perspective big level capital c coaching you know he's done a pretty good job yeah i i mean when you were talking there about motivation and i i definitely used talked about this on the Irish NFL show before, but I don't know if you've heard it. Have you ever heard the story about Alex Ferguson and Roy Keane and when Manchester United were playing Spurs? I uh, no, I haven't. Wait, is Alexander Ferguson knighted? Is there, there's one coach that's knighted? He Alex Ferguson is, is knighted. I, uh, I I understand if an Irish NFL show doesn't want to recognize. I'm just I just my brain just kind of went. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 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 Indeed. He'll always be just Alex Ferguson to to us, but. Um, there, so Roy Keane was his captain at Manchester United, and in Ferguson's one of Ferguson's book, he says that if he could have entered Keane in the Grand National, the Olympics, anything, he's convinced Keane would have won it because he had that drive and determination. And so they're getting ready to play Spurs, and and Spurs are are in in many ways, I suppose, something like the Vikings of the Premier League. They play nice football, but ultimately, when it comes to crunch time. You know, they're just not, they're not at the races, you know, to kind of dis- disappointing is known as Spursy over here. Oh, that was oh, so Spursy. my people. Oh, right? Fantastic. Yeah. I like to get to a League Cup final and you lose 2-0. Oh, so Spursy. Um, so they're they're playing against Spurs and Keane is like, we know who Spurs are. We know that what it is. I don't, please don't give us this big, long team talk today. And Ferguson walks into the dressing room. And he just gets the player's attention and he says, lads, it's Spurs. And that's all he said. He walked out and United went, well, Spurs. That's, oh my God. That, that is when you have motivation down to a fine. But in relation to Kevin O'Connell, like that bounce back ability, that ability to bounce back, like that is what Ferguson prided himself on. Because he said, like, over the course of your career, you will lose games. And that is, it's it's the ability to bounce back from this, the ability to overcome, uh, you know, setbacks. You're not going to win every year, 
But how do you respond the next year? Can you find the, the motivation? And that's what it's interesting about O'Connell to see how he can build on that. And I suppose going up against um, Dable, these are two guys who took slightly different approaches because O'Connell is a play caller and he kept the, those duties. Um, and that didn't work out so well from Nathaniel Hackett. Dable made the decision to hand that off, um, you know, to, to Kafka and look, the Kafka calling plays is just that sentence and seeing that. Oh, it's beautiful. It's so it? beautiful. It's, oh, and, and and Kafka now has interviews for head coaching jobs. I really want to see, you know. Uh, we're going to yeah. see some really phenomenal transformation puns. We're going to see, uh, you know, the metamorphosis type stuff. And if people really dig into, you know, uh, some of that, like especially the short stories, I think they're going to find some real gems, you know, yeah. to, just to write the headline. I, I, ho- I hope so. But I, I suppose, like, you know, how, and, and I, so I, I think just in terms of, like, um, and may, maybe a, b- a bit about O'Connell, but a bit about, like, you know, a league-wide type thing, especially for a first-year head coach, how has O'Connell managed, and how does a, a head coach in his first year, where you are, and, and we've talked about, that like, he is that kind of inspirational figure. You see him in the locker room afterwards and gone out of his way to kind of praise Kirk Cousins because I think Kirk needs that, the arm around the, the shoulder. Yeah. Um, he needs to feel loved. But how can, how how is Kevin O'Connell able to, you know, call plays and yet motivate when we have seen so many other um, head coaches struggle with, with that? And, and why... Why does it work for for some? And like that's essential. That I know you can't answer that like in in like in detail. But like it, it, I'm just interested because it seems like it's such a there's so much involved. And you know we have seen teams, um, not only my Broncos, bring in guys to help out with timekeeping and and stuff like that. Yeah. And yet you've got somebody like O'Connell who's essentially doing all of this stuff. Yeah, no, it is. It's really interesting, especially as that trend has accelerated in the NFL, where the head coaches are calling plays a lot more often. Now, that doesn't mean it's new in the NFL. I think, you know, going all the way back to like the Sid Gilman Chargers, I think he called plays as the head coach, right? But um, it it is something that's happening a lot more. I think Andy Reid's success with that has kind of helped, um, you know, make that normal. Obviously, every head coach is kind of making their own decision. But, you know, knowing that the Chiefs are fairly successful doing that, you know, to maybe understate the case, um, it, you know, kind of helps coaches think like, hey, you know, maybe I can do this, right? You know, Mike Zimmer did it because he's just stubborn. He's like, well, I got hired for my defense, right? Why wouldn't I call place? <laughs> the whole point, the whole reason I'm here is because my defenses are good and they're going to remain good. And for the most part, he was right, you know, so... Um, it is, it is a really difficult task, especially because it's really tough to describe everything a head coach does in a game. Because if you write it down and and put it on a list, it doesn't seem like all that much, right? But when you actualize it, right, like it, there's a lot that you have to do. It's kind of like my job, right? You know, it's a football writer. What do you do? Well, I watch games and I write about them. Well, when you put it like that, that's not very much. Well, I've worked more than 40 hours a week. It's not easy. You know, so it's fun. I love it. I'm not complaining, but that doesn't make it necessarily an easy job, right? And so you know, the same thing with like a head coach, right? Where, you know, you have to always check in with your coordinators, your position coaches, check in with what the players are doing, make sure that you have an understanding 
well the tendencies that are occurring in the game make sure that your offensive and defensive coordinators um, are up to date on kind of all the tendencies that you're tracking uh, be up to date on player injuries make sure that everybody's on their p's and q's make sure that the special teams coordinator you know kind of knows who the next man up is if they've got a player going down to injury you know and these are all drilled obviously actually in the hotel room the night before the game um but uh, you know th- these are all things that they have to pay attention to they're negotiating all the time with the referees they're uh negotiating with their own quarterbacks all the time whether or not they're offensive or defensive as a head coach um they're making sure that you know every element of the of the operation is running smooth whether that is, involves you know making sure that your uh you know game management assistant up in the booth is uh, is keeping their eye on on the broadcast footage to see if there's a, a play that you have to challenge or you know what's going on in the timeout situation. Um, you yourself have to be a, a high level game manager. All of that is like a big part of being a head coach, and it just feels like what checking in with people. I could check in with people. That's I just there's a phone right there on the side. I could just call someone. That's but it's like it's so tough to do it as the game is happening in real time. Uh, and, uh, you know, you only get 12 minutes in a locker room, you know, and so, you know, making sure that your halftime is operations running smooth, all of that is, is very difficult. And like you had like the smallest things are now your responsibility. Hey, there's not enough Gatorade cups. Oh, I got to figure out what's going on there. I got to make sure that my players are hydrated. So I got to call the water boy who's actually an equipment manager and I can't call him the water boy. Right. Like, it's just. Like, there's just so many things that happen during a game. Like, oh, the, the sideline uh, isn't warm enough. The benches aren't heated. Okay, well, we, I got to figure this out, right? And then you have to, you know, figure, like, it, there's so many things that happen during a game that you have to, and then you're calling plays on top of that. I think that that's a lot. How does it happen? I'm not entirely sure, but I'm guessing that Kevin O'Connell has had a lot of experience watching that operation unfold with Sean McVay in Los Angeles. So that probably helped. You know, somebody like Meg Zimmer, that didn't happen in Cincinnati. Um, he just kind of figured it out on his own, just a very kind of Mike Zimmer thing, I think. Uh, and, you know, there, there were some struggles uh, <laughs> as he was bringing up. He's kind of lost track of timeouts, right, sometimes. So it's it's tough to keep everything straight in your head. But, you know, all of that kind of matters. You're you're inter- you're the first person that the players will go to when there's a problem. You're interfacing with all the players. You want to make sure that your position coaches are doing what they, they need to do, your coordinators doing what they need to do. But, like, there's a problem. The player's talking to you, right? So... Um, all of those things are going to be in your head as you're trying to figure out, oh my God, it's third and two. Um, should we call an outside zone? This is how they've been attacking outside zone all game. We know that we can get an outside zone, but in short yardage, they're going to plug up these gaps. So actually we should do a counter. Uh, and oh God, there's 15 seconds left on the clock. Let's put that in. Right? Like that, <laughs> you have to keep track of the timeouts, right? Like that's, there's so much that's going on. And, um, you know, having the bandwidth to do that is itself a skill, right? And then knowing what parts of that operation you can delegate to others is a skill, right? And I think that second thing is, because I think you can train yourself to have the bandwidth. I'm not like a huge, people just have this inherent intellectual skill guy. That's just not a thing, I think. Um, You can train yourself to have that skill. It's very tough. And by the time you're 40, it's probably, that's it. But um, delegating is a skill that you can continue to learn, um, over time and Hackett was learning that lesson very quickly uh, <laughs> as as the season progressed and still did not learn it quick enough um so th- that that all it you know plays a role I mean the Vikings have game management assistants up in the booth that kind of help with tracking the timeouts and making sure that they've got you know those challenges and so that takes off you know a little bit of the uh, cognitive load on O'Connell during a game 
Um, he can lean on his offensive coordinator. He's like, hey, you know, Wes, what are you thinking here? We've been running outside zone all game, and, and we're always getting it, but this is a new front. Should we counter? And Wes is just going to have the answers. Like, there's you can you can make sure that you lean on the right guys to make sure that you've got everything kind of figured out. But like, it's 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 bandwidth, focus, and delegation, and those are uh, a diverse set of skills that you have to have or learn. And uh, you usually don't find out if you have it until the first game of the season. Yeah, yes, indeed. It reminds me of you know that meme of like what my grandparents think I do, what society thinks uh, I, yeah. I do. Yeah, and yeah that, that's the, the head coaching gig in, in the NFL. And yeah, certainly when it comes to the defensive coordinators, that um, that gruff, uh, gruffness that some some of them have, and that maybe that kind of segues into the current Vikings DC, right? Because I'm familiar with Minnesota Nice. And for listeners in Ireland, Minnesota nice is when you can say something really horrible in a nice way. Um, that, that's that's what it is. It's uh, people from Minnesota are known for being extremely nice, but it's just they say if they don't like you, they say it in a really nice way. But we have not seen any Minnesota nice towards Ed Donatelle. We have just seen <laughs> outright direct. Very direct, outright barbarity. I mean, really, the the Minnesotan people um, drawing on maybe a, a Dutch heritage, Dutch known for obviously being very direct. But my goodness, some uh, and uh, I've only spent three days in the Netherlands, and it was very reality defining for me. Let me tell you that an Irish person interacting with a Dutch person, Freud famously said the Irish were a nation impervious to psychoanalysis because they'll talk around a problem, but never about a problem. The Dutch are the antithesis of that. It is amazing when you put an Irish person and a Dutch person together. There is a, there's definitely social experiments to, to be had there, but the DC for the Vikings, he's, he's not a popular man in Minneapolis. No, no, he's not. I mean, the Vikings have, um, it depends on how you measure things. They've got one of the worst defenses in the NFL. Um, I, depending on, you know, whatever advanced metric you want to use, anywhere from a 25th to 32nd. Um, now, I was looking at, so Kevin Cole uh, is a former PFF guy, uh, an analytics guy that uh, runs a substack called Unexpected Points. And he's got this great um, tool called Adjusted Points. Now, he gets into a lot of trouble on Twitter because he calls them adjusted scores. And so he says the adjusted score of this game is Chargers 23, Chiefs 14. And when the Chiefs like blow out the Chargers, right? And his point is not that the Chargers secretly won the game and no one knows that the Chiefs are bad. His point was uh, that when we take a look at the types of plays that define games, very often those are not the same types of plays that repeat themselves from game to game to game. And so if we want to know what the quality of the team is based off of the game that they played, we can cut down on the impact that you get from fumbles, kickoff return touchdowns, uh, pick sixes, and so on. Um, and, you know, they'll, they'll still, you know, there's still some predictive power in using those, but not as predictive as the impact that they have on the game, right? In the same way, for example, that Colts team that put up like 32 points on the Vikings in the first half, right? They did that in unsustainable ways, right? You know, a pick six on a miscommunication from a wide receiver, a punt a return touchdown, like, you're not going to get that in the second half, right? So um, those adjusted scores are, are a very nice tool for determining kind of what is a sustainable element of this unit. The Vikings are dead last in adjusted points allowed per play. Um, and so 
there is just not a lot going on on that defense, which is frustrating because it's talented, right? It, it feels like, in some ways, watching the Packers over the past couple of years, immensely talented defense, giving up a lot of points. <laughs> and man, it's probably the defensive coordinator's fault. I don't know why the Packers seem committed to Joe Barry. He is in year three, but they also have gone through a number of coordinators where I've always felt that defense is more talented than the outcome. So I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about that, but it certainly seems like the Packers are mad at Barry. Vikings fans are mad at, at Donatel. Um, you've got a great pass rush. You've got a good, you know, set of defensive tackles up front. Daniel Hunter, especially second half of the season, has really turned it on. Jerry Smith, really fantastic season from him. Top five edge rusher right now. Um, Dalvin Tomlinson is having a really remarkable season. If we weren't having such an amazing year for defensive tackles, in a, in a somewhat down year for Aaron Donald, we happen to have, you know, some of the league best years we've seen from Quinn and Williams and uh, and Chris Jones and, uh, you know, some of the, like, Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence. We're seeing some just really amazing stuff. If it wasn't for, like, this spurt of play this year from that position group, Davin Tomlinson might have a reasonable argument for the Pro Bowl. I mean, he's done really well. Maybe not before Javon Hargrave, who vocally complained about it after getting his career high in sacks, but, you know, a really great year for defensive tackles. Davin Tomlinson is up there, right? Harrison Phillips is playing really well. So you've got a great front. You've got Eric Hendricks, who's been an all-pro quality linebacker, right? Um, you've got Jordan Hicks, who's fine. I don't think that he's, like, bad, but he's fine, right? You've got Patrick Peterson, Hall of Famer, maybe not as athletic as he used to be, but, you know, he's been one of the smartest players to play the position. Harrison Smith, really phenomenal safety. You've got all of these guys, right? And the defense is last? Like, I get if, you know, the other cornerback is disappointing. I get if the other safety is disappointing. I get if your second line, if your defensive line is disappointing. And, you know, that group is not first in the NFL or third or fifth. But last, that sounds like a coordination problem, right? Why does Eric Hendricks suddenly look like he's lost? I That's nuts. You know, the, he, he's a, an extremely smart linebacker. He should not be lost, and that's probably not his fault, right? Especially if everybody else kind of looks lost, right? Cameron Dancer's been having some really good moments, and he's mixed that in with just blowing coverages. He's got a lot of mental mistakes. Um, you know, and, and the Vikings second defensive line has improved over the course of the season as they picked up guys and figured out what they want to do. And they're still giving up, you know, big plays in the running game because people are doing their job, but their job is not conducive to helpful football, right? Like if you're, if you're plugging up, like if you're a great nose tackle and you're plugging up two blockers and they run to the outside, you did a good job. You helped the team, but maybe not as much as somebody whose job is to penetrate the backfield and force that runner to redirect, right? I mean, there's if your job as a as an edge rusher is to crash down on the running back on the backside of the zone and they run counter, you did your job. But if no one is there to fill that gap, that's the coordinator's fault. And so you, now you've allowed a 30-yard run. So, yeah, I, there's a lot to say about Ed Donatel. I think that the defense is too simple. Um, over the last couple of weeks, that defense has adjusted. It's gotten a lot better in terms of how often they blitz, how often they use man coverage, how often they complexify their coverages, did not work against Green Bay. So there's still, you know, work to do. If you get rid of Green Bay special teams and defensive scoring, they still, when the starters were in, allowed 27 points over three quarters. That's, you know, 36 over four, right? Um, that's bad. <laughs> that's, you're not in a good spot. A lot of that happens because of turnovers and good field position. All of the points on offense that, that the Green Bay scored came off of good field position coming off of either a missed field goal or a turnover or a turnover on downs. Um, 
But I mean, you just got to be better in the red zone. You can't just give up five red zone touchdowns. That's too bad, right? Like, I don't know what to tell you. So um, the players are pretty talented. The role players are maybe not what you want, but the defense you're calling is prone to giving up big plays. Your players are confused about what they need to do. And um, you're, you're not finding ways to force quarterbacks to slow down or make mistakes, right? And so... Yeah, there's a lot of reason to be upset with the way that that defense has evolved in Minnesota, even if Ed Donatel didn't get the players that, you know, it's perfect to run his defense. Like, fine, adapt your defense. He hasn't been doing that. So um, it is. it has been tough to watch this Vikings defense, knowing how talented they are. Yeah, I, I think that adaptation is is key. You can, uh, you know, wishing wishing and hoping for that guys will uh, suddenly fit into your system um, just doesn't tend to, to work. Um, I, I am kind of fascinated by by stats and analytics a little bit because of the way in which and you know because you get you get a lot of extremes in this you get people who completely dismiss it and you get people who completely believe in it and I, I think it can be very useful but I have seen in the past where um sometimes people come up with ideas I'm thinking of expected goals in uh in mm, Premier XG. Yeah, yeah. and xg and Michael Cayley, um, who has a pretty successful career out of this, early on thought he had cracked it. And he said, uh, Ian Acho, um, he, he compared him to Marcus Rashford. And he said that, um, you know, yeah, there, there's a there's a tweet, there's a kind of a famous tweet about this, uh, where he said, Rashford and Ian Acho both have lots of goals, but only one has the indicators of a future star. Can you guess who he thought the future star was going to be? I would guess not Rashford if you're telling the story. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so it, it Ra- has... Rashford is coming off of like an, an amazing game, right? I think I saw him in some headlines pretty recently, right? Yeah, he's come he's come back from the World Cup in in, in incredible form, and uh, obviously, um, what he does off the, the field is is almost as impressive as uh, what he uh, has uh, been doing on it as well. Just a a super guy. Um. Arif, I suppose I, 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 you've been super generous w- with your time, and you know, um, I, just before maybe I, I, I let you go. In terms of the kind of wider playoff picture here, um, you know, looking at at it, maybe um, rather than Super Bowl picks, um, championship game picks, uh, in terms of who you think might end up uh, in in those games on in both conferences. Yeah, the NFC is going to be pretty tough to figure out. Um, I don't like the Cowboys, but I want to trust in them, right? Like, I want to say, hey, you've got a top five defense. You're playing pretty well. I really like Dak as a quarterback. Tough stretch of games for him. So it's really difficult for me to be like, ah, sure, the Cowboys. The Cowboys-Eagles championship game would be stellar, right? I would love to watch it, right? Um, it is... A couple of weeks ago, before this like rash of interceptions from not all of them his fault, but this rash of interceptions from Dak, um, I called the Cowboys the best team in the NFC with Dak healthy, and you know now I look like kind of an idiot, which is fine. Uh, but I think um, I think the most likely NFC Championship game, and I'm trying to figure out because they do a bunch of reseeding. But if I could just pick the one and two seeds, I know that they can play each other in the championship game and not the divisional round. So I'm going to do that. Um, the Eagles and the 49ers playing each other in the championship game. I have some difficulty trusting the last pick in the draft um, as a quarterback that can really push the team through when they need a quarterback to play quarterback and not point guard. Um, 
it's like, you know, Brock Purdy's done a great job distributing the ball. He's really fantastic, you know, after catch receivers. Adding Christian McCaffrey's been a big part of that. Um, and uh, and it's a really efficient offense, which is the same thing Jimmy Garoppolo was doing, except Garoppolo did actually throw deep a little bit more often and throw to the sidelines a little bit more often and use his arm strength a little bit more often. Tough to believe that someone is 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 less likely than Jimmy to do that, but Brock Purdy is there. Um, there were some pretty nice highlights early in his tenure uh, where he's throwing deep, but for the most part, he's not doing that. Um, if you ask him to play quarterback, you know he hasn't really had to do it. Um, so I'm worried when when they go up against a team where the defense doesn't have every single answer of the book to take down uh, the offense, what's going to happen. So I'm probably going to take the Eagles super boring to take the first overall seed, but that's kind of where we are. AFC, obviously crazy, interesting scenario involving like home field advantage and uh, coin flips and what have you. Um, there are basically three teams competing, especially if Tua isn't really healthy. I mean, it feels like he's going to play in the playoffs, but I don't know. Lamar Jackson, it feels like he's going to play in the playoffs, but the three teams are obviously the ones that were most impacted by uh, the the game cancellation, right? It's the Buffalo Bills, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Cincinnati Bengals. I really like how Joe Burrow is playing. They played a really lights-out game in Week 18. Um, but I think, you know, and, and the Bengals' defense has been very good, and they've been getting better over the course of the season. We've seen a lot of stuff from Trey Hendrickson that's really nice as an edge rusher. Jesse Bates is playing really well at safety. Mike Hilton is just a phenomenal corner. Great signing for them from Pittsburgh. Um you know, and Jermaine Pratt, super underrated linebacker. I don't want to forget him. He's played a pretty big role in that defense. But I think the Bills are just better on offense and defense than the Bengals. Um, I know Bengals fans uh, have a little bit like there's, they've been negotiating the emotional kind of like, okay, I don't want to disrespect what happened with Demar Hamlin. They were right to cancel that game. I don't want to like, but we got everyone we got screwed here, right? Like we and they're trying to negotiate kind of what that looks like and how they can't. Um, for the Zach Taylor and the Bengals team themselves are doing a much better job at negotiating with it. Again, Zach Taylor, great coach, right? Um, negotiating what that should look like. And, um, I, I think that the disadvantages that they have structurally in terms of the schedule, where they're going to play the disadvantages they have where Josh Allen is just a little bit better of a quarterback than Joe Burrow. The running game is finally kind of emerged, uh, the receiver group is, you know, both of them are very interesting. I, maybe I would take, you know, the Bengals receiving group, but the Bills one is very good. Um, but the Bills defense just has a little bit more juice. And so I think, you know, with Matt Milano, and unfortunately they don't have Von Miller, but Matt Milano and the pass rush that they have at Oliver in the middle, um, that that secondary that has suffered so many injuries, you know, aside from Mar Hamlin, Micah Hyde is out. Um, you know, Christian Benford just got back from injury. Maybe he's going to play safety for them. I don't know. But, you know, they, they've got a great, secondary even with that you know their depth being tested so i think probably take the bills there so it's probably to me it's bills chiefs and um the bills have a better defense and they're probably the second best offense but the difference between one and two on offense is extraordinary i think i might still take the chiefs and so i'm going really chalk i'm going eagles chiefs uh in the super bowl that that feels boring i again another situation where you love to be wrong but i think the the NFL ended up with the correct seeds uh, at the end of the day, which is actually pretty rare, I think. Um, so uh, I think we're probably going to see those teams uh, come uh, come February. I think that would be a, a fascinating matchup uh, if if that were to, to be the case. I, I, for me, I, I know if a lot comes down to Lane Johnson and whether he is fit because uh, what he allows the Eagles to do when he is on that line, you really don't know what what they might do. Um, oh, yeah. But 
whether whether they run past or, or Hertz is going to take off, but without him, they are so um, you know they're just vulnerable. They're, yeah, yeah, they they really are, and and they're they're nowhere near as explosive and and nowhere near as varied. I feel, and I think that is is something. Um, and I think the AFC side, yeah, I, I would go with with so much. I mean, it is so difficult to look beyond Andy Reid and, and Patrick Mahomes, but I think. The Bengals have a chip on their shoulder, and when you put a chip on Joe Burrow's shoulder, Mike, oh, you've taken that and running with it, right? It, it, Isn't it one of the greatest college football performances of all time from a chip? That that, 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 that Joe Burrow could take the ball on the hop and run with it, like yeah, there you go. <laughs> let's uh, let's let's see, um, but uh, Arif, you are always uh, fantastic uh, to to chat to. Um, we, you know, I cannot recommend following Arif highly enough. Always, always enjoy uh, his stuff. Uh, he is both uh, wonderful in his insights, but also in entertaining. Um, but for listeners who, you know, for one reason or another, aren't yet um, familiar with you, Arif, where can they find your stuff? Uh, listeners becoming familiar with me, I'm sorry for for what you're about to experience, but uh, you can find me on Twitter at Arifasan NFL. Despite having years of recommendations to get onto other social media, recommendations that seem like they're turning out to be correct, I have not done so. So um, you're going to have to find me over at Twitter, or you can find my work over at profootballnetwork.com slash author slash A Hassan. That's Hassan with one S. Um, yeah, I mean, and I've got a podcast, the Norse Code podcast, as well as the Minnesota Football Party. So those are um, a lot of places where I, I put out a lot of work. I really appreciate you inviting me on. Um, it's some of the most fun I have. I, and I always learn a little bit more about, you know, um, Irish culture, you know, whenever I'm on this podcast. Well, hopefully someday we can do it properly over Pines. But for now, Arifa San, thank you very much. Thanks for having me.